Hey everybody, Tyree here with Before I Forget along with Kevin. Say hey Kevin. Hey everybody. So, this is the first show of many shows this year that is going to be based completely on our deployment to Iraq, uh, OIF-2, back in uh, 2004, right? Yeah, I don't know what you said because that audio really messed up your audio. Oh, but anyway, yeah, since 2004, there yeah, you go, so 20 yeah. years. Is that what you're talking about? There you go, yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. <clears throat> yeah, hey, so uh, this is the first episode in a series of 20s, uh, 20, uh, in a series of 12, one a month for the year that we were deployed 20 years ago in 2004. And this episode, we actually, this one's actually going to be a cool one because we have some guys with us who were in the uh, company of National Guardsmen out of New York that were attached to us. And we have not been able to talk to them yet or get their story um, until today. And so pretty excited about that because they have a, a completely different, uh, very unique perspective um, and completely different train up from what we had. And being that they're from New York, you know, um, I would imagine a little bit of a, uh, personal perspective going into it. Um, so let's introduce them. Uh, we've got uh, um, Alvin, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. George. And uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Alvin, go ahead and go first, and then George, and then uh, tell us what you did and you know, what rank you were then and who you are and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, my name is Alvin Amasquita. I was a sergeant with, uh, at the time, with. Bravo 1st of the 105th, that was part of uh, the 10th Mountain. Uh, then I was um, transferred over to 2nd of the 108th, uh, which uh, then deployed to Iraq uh, sometime around uh, October. We started off uh, doing that to then to deploy to Iraq um, as we're doing in the show of February. Um, so basically I was a team leader and, um, that's pretty much what I did. Um, actually the funny thing with me is that, um, when nine 11 happened, I wasn't even in the military. I, I got out in 98 or so. And after nine 11 happened, um, I decided to rejoin up again and I joined up uh, back up again with some of the guys that I knew from back in the days. And, um, and that was it. That's pretty much my story. Hmm. Okay. And George? Yeah, so my name is uh, George Rodriguez. I was the uh, company commander for Charlie Company. Um, I was the uh, – I was originally I was the Alpha Company commander. Um, I got moved to battalion staff, and then uh, there were some shakeups, some issues, and um, I ended up taking over Charlie Company in November of uh, 2003 and then took me to Iraq. Um, I think what's really uh, – interesting about our company is probably a good majority of the company had something to do with nine 11, either before or afterwards. Um, and I would say probably 90% of the company, um, did some type of support mission for, um, nine 11 and the, and the following missions after, afterwards. So Dang. it was a little bit, a little bit more personal for us, I think. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I would imagine. Absolutely. Where, where, where in New York, uh, where y'all living when, when all that went down, like they're in the city or, so I'm, I'm at, I was actually, I'm a, I was a Vermont state trooper. Um, so I was living in Vermont, but my companies were in 
the northeast corner of New York, so uh, Champlain Valley, Valley up in the Adirondacks, around the uh, on the border, which is primarily where the the second battalion of 108th Infantry came from. It was north of the Albany Thruway, so it was a whole northern part of the country. Um, I think Alvin was from the southern part, which was the 105th, which he was saying at first. Um, in order to make a full battalion to send to Iraq, they rolled up the 2nd Battalion, 1st Battalion, and the 105th Infantry all into one to get the soldiers to make up all the 2nd Battalion. Okay. Right on. So so you guys had – I dropped my pen. So you guys had some support missions during 9-11. Um, what – man – like I, I don't know, like how much I want to get into that. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. I'll I, tell you that much. Yeah, they, I was they, in New York City I, at the time. Yeah, I, I, I can just, I can briefly go over it. Um, probably keep Alvin out of it a little bit. He was a lot closer to it because he was down there. Um, yeah. There were a bunch of missions that popped off. The first one would have been like uh, Operation Noble Eagle, um, and there were different iterations. Um, but after the initial um, attack. Um, New York had a big security mission, and there was an armed mission that a lot of people don't really know about, but there were armed National Guardsmen who were carrying uh, their uh, uh, M4s at the time, um, carrying them in the uh, all the subways, uh, all the tunnels, uh, the airports, um, critical sites like the, uh, the power plants all around New York State. Um, and um, so a lot of us were activated for a few months at a time to go down to New York City and spend time in uh, they're called street missions in, in the different subways. Um, well, some of us were in the airports and some of us were on the bridges and the tunnel. So it was just, there was a lot of stuff that was going on that I don't think the average person knows about, but there was a really heavy security mindset in New York city at the time. And we were coming from all over New York state. Yeah, no, we, um, I had never heard of any of that stuff. I mean, I kind of assumed, right. Cause you think a terrorist attack on a major city in the U S and you know, so Tyree and I were both in, in basic training at the time. I was like, I was about to graduate and I know that Fort Benning um, beefed up its security and pulled a bunch of privates in training and, and made them stand around and with M4s or M16s, M16s actually A2s. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, you said Operation Noble Eagle, I never even heard of it. Uh, so I would imagine a lot of people haven't heard about it. That's, and that's something you, you would think that, uh, that they would talk about that that would be, you know, it's part of history for sure. Like the follow-on missions to um, what happened uh, that day and, you know, what the sentiment was and, and everything else uh, of uh, the military folks that were stationed up in that state. Um, that's crazy. That's the important part about talking about it now. Um, tell me a little bit about your family lives at this point. I mean, I know you guys were going through enough as it is being in the military at that point, but uh except for you Alvin I guess jumping back into it what was your family life during 9-11 well I, you know I was a single guy that just worked and you know I had kids from previous marriage and um, you know I, I was just constantly just working and you know looking after my parents and myself and just pretty much having a you know joyful life, you know, partying whenever I could party and everything was great until 9-11 happened. And then, you know, my life got turned upside down, you know, like everybody else's. And, you know, I made a choice that I said, well, it is what it is. That's what I signed up for. My hope that never expired. So might as well go back into the grind. And that's exactly what I did. So without hesitation. 
Yeah, knowing full well that, hey, this is probably potentially going to lead me into being deployed overseas somewhere. God knows. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. I mean, the second that happened, I was like, yeah, we're going to war. Hmm. I mean, without a doubt, we were going to war. Yeah. Was there was was there a mindset for you guys like this like uh like this revenge mindset like we we need to go get these bastards and then like I mean, was that was that was that on your on your mind at all? I mean, yeah, uh, I, I think in the beginning I would say yeah, but you know by the time we deployed it was you know but we got activated it was two thousand three so it happened two years before and I think it was uh it was maybe more like a justice than a than a revenge I think yeah. I think if you're gonna put it in a in right. a form. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, well I, it, I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know I had some guys that just they they, they want to pay back. We got a lot of guys bought pieces of New York mm-hmm. City with them, buried them in the desert. You know, had a bunch of different stuff that you know because cool. it was personal, especially for the units that lived in New York City. I mean, they were right there when that happened, and they got activated. They were right there on the rubble mm-hmm. pile. So for them, it's it's a lot different than than for someone who didn't go there um, until after it was all you know, the, the whole situation had changed. So, yeah. Was, uh, so then with that being, with that being said, I mean, whether it be revenge or justice or whichever, you know, now you get word that you're deploying to Iraq, right. Which was from what we were told, not the country that was responsible for the attacks. Yeah. Well, I've got a little bit more insight into this. I was, um, so I, when nine 11 happened, I was a Bravo company commander. Um, which was in the really northeast corner of, of New York. And um, I was a state trooper um, in Vermont. And uh, probably about that January, um, the following January 2002, I became Alpha Company commander. I moved over to Alpha Company, which is a little bit a little bit south, but it's still up in the north northern part of the, the state. And, um, it, and at that point, that's when we started doing, doing all these missions. And... Um, Originally, uh, we were supposed to do a Sinai tour, and that was I was getting the briefings. I had to go to special meetings all the time. They're like, "Well, we're going to relieve active unit duty units." There was a uh, there was a Sinai tour that was going on. I'm not sure what unit was doing it, but we were going to take over from them. There was nothing about going to Iraq or anything. There's a lot of rumor, but nothing official. Um, and then, probably around April of 2003, uh, we had just finished one of the street missions in New York City, and um, we got back, we had a meeting, and we got the call that um, we were activating October 3rd of 2003 to deploy to Iraq. So that was, it was around April timeframe that we got the word that we were deploying. And at that point, then it became, and I always say it was like the NFL draft where we would go and we'd like, all right, what, what guys can't deploy? Um, you know, we had, a, it's the same thing for active duty. You go through, you have your medical and everything, and they're going through, and all the agents are going through, and guys are just dropping out. They weren't eligible because um found out some guys had um uh, my original battalion commander he uh, ended up having um diabetes and they said he was not employable so we ended up with a new battalion commander um and it was just like that the whole way through it was just it was almost like you know and then you'd look at units and you'd be like all right we see this guy here we want this guy we want this guy so it was like a uh, it was almost like a draft really of who we wanted and we were getting right. the pick of, the, of everybody um we were gonna be the first um really battalion size element to deploy out of New York since World War II. So it was like, it was a big thing for New York, um, right. especially for the New York Army National Guard. I mean, I think before that, no one ever thought, you know, guardsmen going into, into the combat was a, you know, it was, yeah, they're going to do support stuff, but not as a, 
not as an infantry battalion going in to do infantry stuff. So, and with all that being said, with all that being said, though, so what is what is as as the company commander being selected uh, to to go over there or to be in charge of this company, and, and you're going to deploy? Maybe you don't know. You said you found out in February you're going to be attached to us of 2004, February of 04. But what is your mindset as a company commander, right? Like in terms of readiness and you know just what's about to come up and what the training has been like and everything. What's, what's your mindset there? I mean, it, you know, I, I think you got to realize we're, we, we deployed out of Fort Drum, New York. Um, um, so we did tr- deployed out of a, a winter Fort Drum with, you know, two to three feet of snow to go to the desert. Um, that, that was our, uh, <laughs> so, you know, it was, re- you, you knew, you knew what was going on. I mean, we were watching the news and we're seeing things happening. Um, I want to say like uh, sometime, I don't remember the exact date, probably no, November timeframe, um, the fourth ID caught Saddam. Um, and everyone's like, well, oh, what's going to happen now? Actually. That was December, yeah. So it was, everyone's like, wow, what's going to happen now? Um, you know, all these things. And so there was a lot of a lot of things we didn't know. Um, we just knew we were going to Iraq. We didn't know. Um, I know f- for me, I knew we were being evaluated by different evaluators. We had a lot of first ID guys who were coming and watching us doing our training. And then they started grabbing toward gravitating towards our company more and more. And we started getting, you know, hindsight being 2020, we started getting these really specific missions where we're spending a lot of time in the urban site instead of everyone else doing, you know, uh, patrols and vehicle stuff. And we're walking around doing a lot of movements. Um, and then, um, I don't know if you want to go into JRTC right now, but we can go into the JRTC and that was just, I say it's a, it was a total cluster, but there were, there, there's a, there was a reason for it. Um, but I don't know if you want to go into that now or not. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we had JRTC and they had, uh, they, you had a little fob and it, it wasn't a traditional JRTC environment. You're, you had all these different lanes set up for JRTC. Um, and it was, uh, it was basically they were, they were certifying that we were able to go that we could pass these different, um, uh, uh, metal tasks and, and, and get the check marks saying, yeah, you guys are good to go. And one of them was like a convoy lane. You had some uh, like meetings with, uh, uh, you know, different people. And then you had the, the Shugard Gordon mount site, which was all built up and everything. And we went there the first day and there was, it was supposed to be rotation. You had base defense, you had all these different things that you would do and you get rotated through. So the first day we hit Shugard Gordon and it's this cluster. I mean, and it's supposed to be, you know, you get, and it wasn't a traditional GRTC where you, where if you were killed or wounded, you were taken back to the PHA or anything. It was more of you were rekeyed and sent out. But we were like, they had ammo stacked up for us, and they had, and it was just, we would just keep doing the same thing over and over again from first light until it got dark, and then we'd roll back in. And after about the third day, um, I went to the town commander, and I was like, hey, can we uh, share the well? Because we haven't left the city in like three days. We've got nine days of this, and you know, and he's like, it's not my call. He's like, you guys are there until they say you leave. And we spent our whole JRTC rotation going in and out. And we're actually doing things. We did the big, uh, where the, um, the payroll got hit. We had that mission. We had all these missions that were going on in Samara, which we didn't know anything about Samara at the time going on. And there were throwing these scenarios at us and we were reacting to it and you know they had me take my battery out of the miles they're like yeah you're not dying you're just gonna keep going and running your guys through this and i want they, and that was just i guess to see how we would react and everything and uh and as we continued it, it just continued the scenarios get got worse and worse and and 
sometimes there are like mm-hmm. way, way, way off the wall type things, but it was, and I think it was just a test. And, um, the last day we had a, um, we did our evaluation and they came in and then they had myself and the first sergeant stay behind, um, our battalion S3, our battalion intelligence officer, the XO and the battalion commander stay behind. And they were doing the, the mission brief for what the 208th was going to do. And so they go over everything and then they have, um, and then they're like, well, Charlie company, you guys will be breaking off from the second battalion and you're going to be attached to the one, two, six. And they're like, you're going to be in Samara and our Intel guy had to get off that information. And I had to get special briefings before then and what was going on tomorrow. But up until that time, we had no idea like what or where Samara, that was just a place on the map that, you know, you didn't know anything about. So that, that was our, that was our, uh, basic, our, our, uh, yeah, welcome to the one, two, six. You're, this, this is where you're going. And we had to keep that quiet until the day we got on the plane. We had a briefing out in, uh, Wheeler Sack Airfield in Fort Drum and we're getting on the plane. That's when I told my guys, Hey, here's what we're doing. We're arriving in country. We're going to do our, our pre-mob in the country in Kuwait. And then, uh, when we roll into Iraq, we're heading to, uh, Brassville, Mora. And uh, we're going to be living with the 126. We're no longer part. We're still part of the 208, but we are now part of the 126, and uh, and we'll be operating there for our whole tour. And uh, so that was the that was the whole, I guess, surprise ending to our our JRTC rotation in February. That <laughs> surprise yeah. ending and surprise beginning. Yeah, yeah it's fucking yeah. heavy, man. Like, uh, woke up to the 126. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the what was the overall like? What was the overall kind of uh, feedback from that like was but were people like who the fuck are the one two six like what is what you know what what is up with this why are we not being with our our guys like what's what was the uh i don't i don't know if there was anything i I don't think really anyone knew um unless you came from an act of duty you didn't really know who the one two six was it was just another battalion we were all 10th mountain guys that were attached to 10th mountain i can tell you anything you want to know about the triple deuce or anything like that because that's that's who we dealt with all the time um but the but 10th mountain, we didn't, I mean, I mean, first ID, I mean, you know, you know, you see stuff on TV and stuff, um, you know, but as far as we knew you guys were mechanized and we knew you guys had tanks and that we were going to, we weren't going to have none of that. So we were going to be walking a lot. That, that's all we knew. Um, yeah. but I do have to say is that uh, we were definitely outfitted way better than you guys were. I remember when we showed up, um, you know, we had the new ACHs, new M4s, all the new issue Molly that came out. And you guys were walking out with the Fritz helmets with, you know, you know, Muskets. The, uh, it was just, yeah. And like, no. these guys showing up with all this cool guy gear and, you know, yeah, <laughs> we no, so the, the, the stuff still left over from Kosovo, you know, <laughs> we, so I remember the first time I saw you guys and everybody had brand new M4s, brand new body armor, brand new everything. And we were like, what the hell? Like, we're, you know, we're like, we're an active duty unit. We should be funded well, you know, we're deploying with these A4s that are 40, you know, 30, 20, you know, 20, 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my, I, so before we deployed, we all had uh, issued to us flak vests, like the old school flak vest for Vietnam. And before we deployed, we had to go to CIF and do a one for one exchange and it had to be, um, size for size. Well, my flak vest was, was, a uh, Shit, a double XL or an XL, one size too big. And so I'm at CIF and I'm like, hey, I, I need to exchange this for the one, one for one or whatever for the IBA, but I need a size smaller. And she's like, we can't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? Like the CIF, like, of course you can do that. And she's like, no, we have They're to rude. do one for one. Yeah. 
And I and I remember I told this lady, I was like, well, if I'm going to deploy over there with gear that doesn't fit, just be prepared to hear that I died because you wouldn't give me the right thing. I was mad. <laughs> I was so pissed, you know. But uh, and she just you know, was, I, she's I, like, I can't do anything, you know. But, I, think, uh, I think part of it, too, was um, so we deployed with, I think it was a 33A down North Carolina. So we were of a time as part of the 30th, and the 30th was somewhere else in Iraq. Um, and then the 2108 got broken off in the 30th, and then we got broken off from the from the 2108. But um, we were getting – we, I, and I think the, the big thing that we had so much really good gear was we were getting stuff from the 30th as part of their RIF, and then 10th Mountain was going through an RIF too. So since we were training in – and they were – and the 30th was training in North Carolina at, at the old Fort Bragg. We were in Fort Drum. So we got Fort Bragg's, you know, RIF, and we got our RIF. And then New York State was was giving us all kinds of extra stuff. Like we went, we deployed, and we had um, one M14 per company. That New York State grabbed all the M14s and the whole state army. They took them all apart, refurbished them with new parts, and they sent them to us with, uh, you know, 10x uh, Unitel scopes. And uh, you know, we had um, I had I had I had scout platoon snipers in my in my, in my platoon. Um, I had, you know, it was like all these different things, and we would get all the gear that came with them. So, you know, we had all this stuff that just, you know, we, we, we deployed with the former trauma team. I had a, we had a surgeon in our battalion out, outranked a surgeon in Anaconda. It was a full birth <laughs> colonel. We had uh you know, we had emergency room doctors and, and stuff that for medics and, you know, so it was crazy. The, the, some of the stuff that we had. So we had a lot of gear that one New York state get, um, bought for us. Um, the 30th brigade got for us and then Fort drum gave to us also. So, we kind of had the be- the best of both worlds when it came to equipment. Yeah, they that gave is, us but, everything. We even had Halligan tools. Yeah, we had Halligans. We had all we had kinds salt of ladders. crazy gadgets. Uh, we're like, we're the instructions. Uh, I don't know. Just figure it out. And I'm like, what? We didn't figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, instructions, please? No, just figure it out. Some stuff we used. Some things we didn't use. We just let them in the conics boxes because we yeah. had no use for it. You know, we had those ladders that we had, that the, the, the ones those. that you could – Extend uh, apart. I mm. take apart and put back together again. But we had yeah. no use for it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. We we had these uh, we had these little scopes that you could slide into doors and you could look through it. It's, you know, they're great for like a SWAT team. We I don't think we we had one. We never even used it because we were like, hey, we're just kicking the door in. You know. So, but yeah, we had all this stuff that we it was just it was crazy. Well, that's pretty uh, yeah. cool, though. I mean, they, you guys still had it. That's still a lot of stuff. I yeah. mean, especially yeah. like, oh, yeah. hey, you guys are going to this place. As soon as you get on the plane, you now you're going to learn where you're going to go. And now this explains why we have all this extra crazy, crazy shit with us. Yeah. yeah George, absolutely. what was it like being the person in charge of all this while this was going on? I mean, I know was, the, 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 the yeah. eye of the storm right now. Yeah, so... It was hard. Um, I, I was uh, my young, so my oldest son when nine eleven hit was nine months old, and then in February my youngest son was born, and then so I got to see him before we left. So I had a brand new son, and then I'm deploying with, you know, hundred. I think I had 138 guys in my company because I had a regular light infantry company, and then I also had a, um. Uh, I had some uh, extra medics that were thrown in, and I also had um, a fire support team, which was really like almost a battalion fire support team that went with me. Um, so I had there was a lot of guys, and um, and I'd only really been with the company since November, then in November, beginning of December. Um, 
so I was with them for a short period of time and it's, uh, you know, it was a lot of responsibility and, uh, you know, and I was coming in and, you know, it was, and I knew things that they didn't know that I couldn't tell them about. And it was, uh, so it was, it was, it was difficult. It was, it was really difficult and difficult knowing that you're going to a new unit that, you know, absolutely no one. And you don't, you didn't, we didn't really know how you guys were going to accept us, you know, active duty, except the national guard. Um, you know, what, what are you guys going to, how are you guys going to treat us? What are we, we going to get stuck, you know, guarding the porta potties the whole time and, you know, doing absolutely nothing or, you know, and you know, what's going to happen. You guys got tanks and Bradley's and I got some nine, six turtlebacks with no armor. And, uh, you know, what am I going to do? So Mm -hmm. it was, it was just, it it was stressful. It was very stressful. There's a lot of parallels here because we, I mean, our group of people that we went with one, two, six, Bravo, one, two, six, we had been together for years. We were extremely comfortable with each other. Uh, the stop loss and stop movement just had a bunch of us stuck together, except our leadership, uh, uh, right Mm -hmm. around the time that we were leaving, we were getting a brand new company commander, um, the day we left. The day we left. So there's a lot of similarities going on here. Um, yeah, that's it's crazy. I had no clue. Like, uh, yeah, I, I will say that though. You know, and I, and I remember I had a conversation with uh, Captain Rockefeller one time, and uh, and he did. He goes, he said, "Boy, you have it a lot easier than I do." And uh, and it was like he's like my my squad leaders have to have formation with my guys all the time. To make sure like they go eat and stuff like that. He's like, you don't have to do any of that stuff. I mean, my guys were a lot older. I had a lot of guys who were a lot older, a lot of police officers, a lot of correction officers. I mean, I had guys who were, they didn't know that like the army and the military was a side thing, but they had another life that was going on. So they had different responsibilities and, you know, so, so for, in that sense, it was, it was easier, but, um, but, you know, it was it was a little bit more difficult because, like I said, we didn't know anybody at the time. We didn't know how we were going to be received. I will say, yeah, when we when we found out that like uh, one of our companies was being traded out for you guys, we were like, why would they give us National Guard? Because you, you, you like you kind of stated, like there is this uh, if if you're on active duty, you know, there's this stigma that the National Guard and the Army Reserve are not worth you know uh, a damn, and uh, you know, their operational abilities are just subpar and this and that and the other. And, you know, after I left active duty, I went into the reserves and, um, and I definitely learned to see like, you know, the purpose of it and that, that, that you guys actually do get a, a fair amount of training, like following up, like you, you guys probably got just as much, if not more training. Actually, I would say you guys got more urban training than we did because our train up, we were going out to Grafenvier and Hohenfels in Germany and running around in the woods doing Cold War stuff, still chasing bimps, you know, uh, <laughs> climbing in little like pre-dug foxholes that were already out there from 50 years ago. Uh, you know, like we had very little uh, urban training. If it wasn't for some of the dudes that we got um, that that PCS to us from Fort Bragg, um, specifically like Sergeant Gill, now Sergeant Major Gill, and uh Sergeant Absher now Sergeant Major Absher, like those guys and the Weller brothers, um, they came to us from twenty fifth ID, but like they had they had all this like urban uh, uh training experience and we didn't have any of it. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the first time Sergeant Gill was like, Okay, we're go ahead and set up a glass house and all of us were like What, what is a glass house? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, we had no idea. And then he took engineer tape and put it on the ground and like, Okay, this is your room. I'm like, how is this a room? Is this a square on the ground? You know. Um, 
so we didn't really get a lot of urban training. So really for us, it was definitely kind of trial by fire. Once we got there into Samara and we were running around like, Oh, okay. I get it now. This is why the four man stack is a thing and, and all, all, all that good stuff. But, um, we were, we were apprehensive for sure. Um, because you know, the, the whole stigma about the national guard and army reserve, but, um, I've always said, well, since being in the reserves and learning more about how the reserve and the national guard works, I've always said that some, like in some cases and a lot of, well, in fair, fair amount of cases, I guess a national guard unit deploying or an army reserve unit deploying is in a lot of ways going to be better than the active duty side, just because of what you stated earlier, you had a lot of guys who were in corrections, law enforcement, um, uh, your, your, your surgeon, uh, was an actual, you know, surgeon in real life. You know, your medics are probably actual EMTs or nurses of some type or something medical in civilian world where they do that stuff on a day to day basis. Yeah. And those of us on active duty, I mean, that's our job, right? So I was an infantryman by trade, but um, I drank a lot. I partied a lot. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know anything about you know, um, high, high stress scenarios, something like a, like something like a cop, or like you said, you were a trooper, like a trooper would know because, you know, we're not, we're not living that life where right? we're just training and then picking cigarette butts up during, you know, air beautification. Mm-hmm. So like our, our real world experiences were lacking comparatively. Um, and I think you guys were able to, I mean, you guys definitely showed that like you, you were there ready to go. Um, and I will say I did feel bad for you guys because of the vehicles that y'all got. Um, like you said, light skin hum, uh, Humvees and uh, old five tons that had no armor. You know, you guys were in, well, instructed to like harden them with sandbags and and weld steel yeah. on the side. And I can tell you the the uh, the, the uh, just the different um, skill set that we brought in. Um, I know we showed up in theater and. Um, you know, you guys had, I don't think you guys even had hot showers then. And one of the things was we came in and we we're like, how come there's no hot showers? And they're like, well, we don't have, the engineers haven't come in to put in the system yet. And we're like, what do they got to do? And I was like, I got like 12 guys who have licenses to run those machines. They were sitting me on the fob. And I was like, and I got a, my, one of my platoon sergeants, a project manager, he'll do it. And we threw in a black water system for the showers so we could have showers in like three or four days. They just jumped in the machines and did it. And then we just brought our licenses up. And the other thing as far as the vehicles go, um, yeah, we had these light-skinned vehicles, but uh, my platoon sergeant was a, was a master welder, and he had a bunch of guys that were welding, and they went, and I don't know I don't know what those steel plates were for, but one thing we were good at was stealing stuff, and those, <laughs> those plates magically appeared in our vehicles, and they were cutting them out, and they welded them all up, and, um, you know, they I had a supply acquired, sergeant. They were acquired. They were acquired, yeah. yeah. I had a supply sergeant who, uh, I don't know, he was uh, Anthony Barksdale. I don't know, this guy knew, like, every. First day in Iraq, he knew everybody. Every KBR guy, he knew everything. And the next thing I know is he's like, I need a vehicle a week because uh, they got to get these up-armor kits. And I'm like, well, Italian doesn't say anything. He's like, I just need a vehicle. So I would send them one or two a day down to Anaconda. They were coming back with these up-armor kits. And uh, we go to a battalion meeting. They're like, oh, we need, uh, we need, we're going to prioritize you guys and give you guys a couple of up-armor kits that are coming in. I was like, my, my vehicles are all done. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, my uh, supply sergeant got them all done. And uh, I don't remember who the DMO was for you guys, but the tank commander was like, uh, go see him and get the rest of our vehicles done because I don't know how he's doing it. But we were only supposed to get like two, two a week or one a week, and we had ours done in like two weeks, all like six or seven of them. So 
Hustle. That's a good supply. Good at acquiring stuff. Yeah, acquiring yeah. Stuff. That's a that's a yeah. good supply right there, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I gotta say that we had every jack of all trades and master and none in our yeah. unit. Uh, guys were building. They were building uh, comfortable housing inside their hooches. I mean, everybody was coming up with something. And, you know, something to just live a, just a little bit more comfortable. And that was the great thing about it, that uh, us having side jobs outside of the National Guard, uh, we brought that skill set into being deployed. And it just made life just a little bit more comfortable, of course, until they kicked us out of the fob and sent us out to stay in the city. But yeah. it, it is what it is. I mean, well, uh, that's why we went to casino was to, to fix casino up. Casino, and we made know, that no AC is running. Casino races going inside the city. <laughs> yeah. It didn't matter where we went; we yeah. were comfortable. You yeah. know, we, just a little bit. Yeah. You so know. here's here's an interesting story. Um, so the um, when we first got there, we were getting hit by uh, rockets a lot. It was like over and over rockets. And I had a um, I had my FSO was Sergeant First Class Reinhardt, and mm. um. So he's out, like, these rockets would hit, and he's out there measuring stuff and everything. And I don't remember who your FSO was for the battalion. He's like, what's he doing? I'm like, hey, he's doing his thing, whatever. He's out there doing his stuff. So he comes and he does a briefing. He briefs that uh, based on the angles and everything else and the trajectories and everything that these rockets are being fired from a fixed position, and based on the height, it's going to be one of the bongo trucks. And they're, like, all laughing at him. And the FSO was like, "Uh, what are you, a rocket scientist? And he's like, well, actually, I am. That's what he did in the civilian side. He's a rocket scientist. That's awesome. And uh, yes. shortly after that, like a couple of days later, they had a UAV flying over and watched this bongo truck with a fixed tube firing rockets into the fob and everything. He was like, I told you so. And yeah, so that was it. That was that was the thing that was different. Like we had guys who, you know, yeah, he was a rocket scientist. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. Dude, that is hilarious. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of what I'm saying, right? So like the National Guard, the Army Reserve, like whenever they deploy places, like they bring these, you have two, uh, you know, like you have 138 guys in a company, you have 138 different ex- uh, skill sets. You have all of those years of real world experience. And, you know, by the time we deployed, I was in the army for two and a half years and I drank a lot. We went to the field. Do you know what I mean? Like that's well, that was, that was our life. We didn't really have those skill sets. Like yeah, when we, we didn't at all, man. you know, so that, that is uh, definitely uh, one way that like, I think that the national guard and uh, reserve, like definitely outdo uh, active duty when it comes to deployments and stuff. Um, and well, it took you being in the reserve to learn that. Oh yeah. 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 But like on top of, you know, on top of everything <laughs> else. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> That's funny though. <laughs> What's the an actual? What is it? Rocket science? <laughs> well, actually, that's fucking awesome, man. I mean, I didn't really think about that at all until like we are just having this conversation just now about it. Like we were a bunch of teenagers, if that. I mean, not if that. Just maybe a, a couple of us over twenty-one. Uh, we were all really young, and you guys really did have all the experience. And we were thinking, like, you guys, they don't know what they're going to be doing over there. The whole time you guys were getting better training, had better equipment. Like, yeah, we could have swapped spots and it would have been would have been an issue. I don't think. Like, uh, I'm glad that you guys had the training you guys had because, like, uh, as we can see going in, it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy deployment from the start. It was a little bit different. But I guess we can't get that deep into that yet, can we? I mean, we, we can do whatever we want. But okay. I will say though, like, once the fighting started. Hmm. 
looking at the soldiers in the fight, it would they were indistinguishable between National Guard and active duty, mm-hmm. right? Because of the the you know like, and this is one thing that I really want people who are in active duty who hate on the guard and hate on the reserve. This is one thing that I really want them to understand that when it comes down when it comes down to the actual fighting, like we're all there, we're all in like on the same side, one team, one team, one fight, right? Like, and the way that we go about it, the human element behind the fight, it's still there, man. And you know, I, I don't know, I, I I get it. Like this is one one reason why I fucking hate social media stuff, but like. You see it on Facebook all the time. These these dudes like sitting there blasting the guard or reserve, or whatever, because of this or that or whatever. Oh, these guys suck. Blah blah blah. I just want them to understand that, like, you clearly were never deployed with the National Guard because when it comes down to the fighting in the city, they everybody performs the same. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Like once the bullets start flying, it doesn't matter. You yeah. know. There was never any but, doubt, uh, really. Like y'all put in work when it came down to putting in work, man. It was uh, a lot of times we were just a couple of streets over, and we can hear it. And we're like, man, they're fucking, they're out there fucking kicking ass right now. Hopefully, they push them our way so we can get in with some of whatever they got yeah. going on. Because, like I said, it happened a lot. It was often where like you guys got hit before us, and you know, I'm like, fuck, these guys are fucking cooking over here, and it, it. it for for some of the guys, I've had people in certain squads who've never f- fired a shot the entire deployment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know, well, yeah, you uh, guys are over there. Well, I I think, you know, with, you know, being in, you know, the last 20 years that we've been in combat, most of your guardsmen now have two, three, four deployments under their belt. And it was funny. I was just, I was talking to someone who was on active duty. They, they did a, you know, a three or four year enlistment. And I was like, and they were like, oh, well, you know, you retired from the guard and everything and, and everything. And I was like, yeah. I was like, just so you understand, it, it, you you were in the Army for, you know, four years. I was deployed for five. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was deployed for five years So mm-hmm. in the guard. So, yeah, yeah, you were on active duty. I actually have more active duty time than you because of the deployment time. But, yeah, you know, um, but you know, we, we do. We had a, we had a lot of guys. We had a lot of guys with multiple, multiple deployments. Um, and then, and they weren't like support roles. These were combat. We had a lot of guys who did, um, who were combat advisors when that, when that was going on just because of the skill sets we had. Um, so it was, you know, and at that time when we went, like it was brand new, that, that was unknown. Like what were the national guards going to do? So it was, it was a lot of unknowns. It was scary. It was, it was really scary just cause you know, active duty national guard and like i said how are we going to be treated and I, and I and i have to say you know we i think we were treated as part of the team the whole time i don't think there was ever a time where i felt like you know i, I think we got better support from you than we did from our battalion and down in orion down south from us you know we, we'd say we need something and we'd get it we'd call our battalion they'd be like oh yeah we can't we can't make it up there or, or whatever you know it was just it was different so i think as far as like the Iraqi deployment, I think the one two six was more of a family and more of a unit for us than than the two one eight. To be honest, yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm, listen, I'm I can add to that. that. I can add to that because you know I I joined I joined the army in the eighties and you know the guard, um, was considered like you know a vacation. You know, like oh two weeks and they're gonna go out and they're gonna you know, camp like, like old Billy boy or whatever, you know, and uh, there was always those stories that you heard 
And, you know, then when I came over, it was like, you know, I saw it firsthand. It was like, wow, what is going on? But then when Desert Storm happened and they started to try to deploy National Guard and they saw how much of a mess it was, that's when they decided to do that sister unit thing where they wanted to add, they wanted yeah, the to round put National days. Guard units with the uh, active duty and get them trained up and get them back into where they're supposed to be. And that was the key right there of getting the units that actually got deployed, who were ready to get deployed uh, to be to the standard that they were at that time. So that's, that was, that was key and all that stuff. And that was great because I was part of that and I, and I loved it because, you know, we were doing all kinds of stuff. We were doing helicopter missions. I mean, they even wanted to deploy us down to do counter drug and they did send units to do counter drug units um missions i mean it was like it was balls to the walls man constant you know doing all kinds of missions that were coming up and guys were volunteering for it and uh then they saw that people were really into it so then they started pouring more money into it and that's the reason why we were that prepared at that time that's awesome that makes a lot lot of sense yeah and i actually Mm -hmm. never heard about uh the being paired up with an active duty Unit, uh, oh yeah, um, that was like that was really across the board. That was all the way from, uh, from east coast to west coast, where there were units that were being paired up, uh, with right, active right, duty right units before, to get them trained yeah, up. Right before nine eleven, they had they were called roundout brigades. So we mm-hmm. were a roundout brigade for Tenth Mountain. So Tenth Mountain, let's say they had three brigades, they'd have two actual active duty brigades, and there'd be a National Guard brigade which had Tenth Mountain patch. And we, we wore the 10th Mountain Patch, and we would train a four drum. They would evaluate us, and we were there. If anything ever happened, we would be there third or fourth brigade, whatever it was that they, they had at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We actually got put on alert for the Somali mission, the Somalian mission mm-hmm. when, when that stuff was going on. And we were actually up in Fort Drum, and they're like, uh, guys, start getting everything prepared. And we're like, for what? Uh, you guys on alert for Somali? And we're like, what? I'm like, Where? okay. <laughs> we're going to Somalia. We had and, but so- then they ended up sending Triple Deuce, which was already there during the humanitarian mission, which was crazy, which was like, oh wow. So and everybody at that point kind of realized, okay, this is serious business. We gotta get we gotta get our stuff together. You we know? had so much more stability going on on our side compared to you guys by far. Oh yeah. By far. It was mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. even a, a Yeah, for I me mean, for us, so we so we were deployed to so you know, Tyree and I were in base stream when nine eleven happened. We're like, Oh shit, we're going to war. We get to uh Germany. I get there in October of two thousand one and Tyree gets there in, in what, January of two thousand two. Yeah. And in, in our minds we're like, Okay, we're going to war. Well, we we actually went to Kosovo first for six and a half months for a peacekeeping mission. We're like, wait a second, like nine eleven just happened, terrorist attacks on the United on, you know United States soil, and we're going to Kosovo for peacekeeping. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But I guess it was already sl- we were already slotted, and there we went. Um, so we come back, and we we I think at the you know at least at the company level or battalion level, or whichever they knew that like upcoming we were going to Iraq. Or that we were getting ready to deploy somewhere else. I think it was briefed to us that November of 2002 that, hey, like, you know, we're back from this deployment, but, you know, don't get comfortable. We're about to go again. And we got word that we were going to go into Iraq for OIF-1. We were, we were supposed to come in uh, through Turkey from the north. <laughs> and so they took all of our household goods and, you know, hey, get ready, blah, blah, blah. We already had our Advon team there in Turkey. And then... Turkey nixed the whole plan. We weren't allowed to you know, come in from the north, so we got delayed a year. Uh, so we got all of our household goods back. Uh, they opened up, or they, they lifted the stop-loss-stop movement, a couple of guys, PCS, ETS, and then they 
shut it down again and said, hey, actually, so you're going to Iraq in 2004 for OIF2. And uh, we're like, okay. So they took all of our shit again. <laughs> but like our op tempo for that year, I mean, we were we were going, we were going, we were training. I mean, obviously we were training all the time, but like we were going to the field at least once a month for anywhere from a weekend to a week and uh, up to uh, a month or a month and a half um, just for, for training up. But it was spread out throughout the entire year. Um, and in between that, during that, in, in between going to the field, we were doing a lot of, uh, uh, local guard. So there in Germany, we had where the families would stay off post, like the off post housing. So we would go out there and we would patrol that. So I guess that kind of counted as real world, but we didn't really treat it that way. I know I didn't like, no, we were just kind joke. of like walking around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, but we had issued weapons and I think we had ammo. Yeah, we did. I can't remember. <laughs> we did. Like, we had. It was had one it. of those. Yeah. Yeah. In case something but happened. Like, but I mean, we we still knew that we were going to Iraq. We still knew, you know, like this is when we're going. But like, it seems like for you guys, like it's just like, you know, like going back to the early '90s. You know, getting getting spun up to possibly go to the Gulf War, getting spun up to possibly go to Somalia. Um, there's no telling. Do, I mean, we all was there talk of sending out to the Balkans. When 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 all that stuff happened with Sultan Malusi, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when I came back early. Uh, when I came back in, which was early two thousand two, after I finally got cleared by Meps and everything. Um, as soon as I got to the unit, I was handed a a, a list that was uh, they had said uh, pick um, Iraq or uh, Kosovo, and I was like, okay. So then when I looked at the list. Uh, Kosovo list was on the right and Iraq was in the left. And I saw that everybody was putting their name up for the Kosovo. So I just put my name for Iraq. I said, I know why you guys are doing it. You guys are all going to Iraq. And they all started going, Sarge, what's wrong with you? You're going to get, you're going to jinx us, man. We're going to go to Iraq. I said, guys, you just don't seem to understand. You don't know what's going on. You guys are just all brand new. I've been doing this for what, for some time right now. We're going to Iraq. And I had to back the, I guess it was my first sergeant at the time. It was the who handed it over to me, and I gave it to him. And he just nodded his head, like you know, like like agreeing with me. And I just kept on walking. And I think it was like maybe four or five months later. That's when I got the call that telling me, "Hey, look, I got the warning order telling me actually, you know, you guys are gonna go and do this, and um, um, this is what's gonna go on." And I think we went to Germany um, for something uh, to go to Ireland. Iceland, oh. yeah, yeah. I'm saying well, before before the deployment, we went to to. I know I went to Holmesfell and to do something there. Uh, I was there for a little bit and then came back. And then I think there was a warning order that came up from a pie saying, "Hey, look, get ready because you know we're we're gonna gear up." And then next, you know, I heard through the grapevine that they were calling people to go to various units and stuff. I think that called up a whole bunch of lieutenants to go somewhere to active duty. I mean, there was just a whole bunch of stuff that was going on at the time. Some were probably rumors and some were probably true. But then I got the word that I was leaving from the 105th to go to the 108th. And I was like, oh, well, I guess it is. And, you know, I was one of the first groups to go. And those individuals that I had spoken to before went on with the following forces for the OIF-3. So, and that's pretty much how it went down. Yeah, I, I think the original plan for the guard when when this all happened because we were getting a lot of like be prepared missions, um, you know, and I was a company commander for a different company then, 
Um, but it was a lot of taking over peacekeeping missions for active duty so they could go into Iraq and they could go into, you know, go into Afghanistan if things got worse. And um, so I, I think originally the, the guard mission was going to be to take over the, the, uh, the peacekeeping missions. And then um, I think once Iraq happened and we invaded Iraq and they, they saw a need for, you know, just to expand the whole um, and put the guard in, that, in those actual missions and not take them. And I, and I think a lot of things for the army too is the army's hard to to change. But once I set, get something set in stone, like that's where you're mm-hmm. going, and, and it takes an act of Congress to to stop your location. So they had units slotted. The money was already spent. Everything was there, and they're like, "Well, now this unit has to go." So we got to fill them in. All we've got are guard units, and then we're going to send guard units. So maybe that's how it happened. I don't know someone probably with a lot more rank knows than I do, but I would guess that would that would be it, just based off of warning orders we were getting. Yeah, it was so, a little crazy because we were going back and forth. Uh, they were like, uh, well, you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And there was too many uncertainties. And, you know, one minute they're telling, hey, get your stuff in order, get your wills, tell your family, blah, 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 blah. And the next year they said, oh, no, no, nothing's happening yet. And then two or three weeks later, oh, we're back up again, you know. And so it was like, it was a little stressful. I, I, I got to say it was a little stressful because you just didn't know. I just really wanted to just say, hey, look, just get it over. Are we going or not? Yeah. yeah. And, well, and on top of that, the word. Well, and on top of that, like you guys, you know, you are National Guardsmen, but you're primarily civilians. You have your civilian lives, your civilian, your families, your jobs, all that stuff. So, I mean, that's a lot of shit to juggle. And then on top of that, you know, you're like, hey, you're you're deploying, and now you're not. Well, now you're going over here. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. you're not going there. You're going here. Um, so you guys finally got a- activated that October of 2003, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. activation, and then that's when y'all, like, okay, you rally up, you go off to JRTC, and and you do a bunch of training there. I mean, how, how like, what was that? So you get, so activation in October, and then you guys get board the plane in February. Yeah, so we, we act, we, we, get, we, we had a, a big train up before actual activation. So I was placed on orders in April for the pre- Pre-mob and a lot of probably a, a few hundred soldiers were were put on orders um, just to get the the unit ready. Um, we had advances going out, but um, I want to say it was October third was our actual date that we reported into the armories and the buses brought a support drum. Um, and then at that point we uh, we started training. It was a lot of ranges. I was saying in the beginning it was a lot of ranges. Um, there was a lot of stuff that you know we were light infantry. We we didn't have guys that many guys that were license to drive Humvee. So it was some Humvee licensing, um, just different vehicles. Um, and then because we were guardsmen, we're like, well, you know, I had guys, you know, who were, uh, that weren't even infantry. Um, they had transferred over from active duty and they still weren't infantry. So we were sending them to the two week infantry courses so they could, uh, uh, just become infantry during that time. Um, and then some, there were some other schooling that had to go on that guys were doing, but I would say the first month or two, there was a lot of ranges and a lot of familiarization getting new equipment. And then um, probably around November timeframe, we started doing like squad STXs and platoon STXs and then going into company level operations. And I would say, and then we ended up hitting, um, we we went to JRTC, yeah, like the end of January, beginning of February sometime maybe. Um I'd have to look and see what the dates were. But we had also done a JRTC rotation, a traditional JRTC rotation right before 
our mobilization. So we actually had within a six month period, we had two JRTC rotations. That's a lot of time at JRTC. Yeah. It's too much time at JRTC, but but it's, I mean, it's a good experience. I mean, JRTC for what it is. I mean, you know, like they say, it's always harder than war, but I think it opened our eyes and and maybe, um, you know, that first rotation we went to made things a little bit more real for us. So we took the training a little bit more serious when we, when we hit Fort drum. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a little bit, it was different. Did you guys get to go home after that second rotation of JRTC before y'all deployed or were y'all just like roll out from there? Um, boy, I know I, I, so, um, I got to go home to see my son cause he was just born. Um, he was born on February 10th. So I went and I saw him, I got to spend a day at home. Then I had to go back to Fort drum. Um, but we had some family days. I mean, we're all from New York, so we would have, they would allow us to have family days where families would come visit us in Fort Trump. Um, and there were a few of those. We went home for Thanksgiving, um, and Christmas. So we mm-hmm. at least got to go home for those holidays. Um, and then that was pretty much, it. I think after JRTC, there, no one went back home unless it was an emergency situation. Yeah. Nobody went back home better than I know of. Yeah. They said you yeah. guys are getting ready to go. Yeah. yeah, that was it. I think we had our block leave that December going into January, and then that was that was it for us. Yeah, that was um, a wrap. Yeah. yeah, we deployed. So we we like Tyree said earlier. So we we had our first our, our company commander through 2003, and we got a new one the day we deployed. That's when we got Captain Rock. We had that formation at like nine in the morning for the change of command, and then I think we got on the buses at like 1400 on the 13th or 14th. Um, took that over to where we fly out of Tyre. Do you remember? Was it, was it Ryan Mine or was it Rammstein? Oh shit, man! I don't know. I was I couldn't care less <laughs> at that point. I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah. Even though I know at that point we were only going to Kuwait, but I was well, nervous as hell, man. Well, and I'm glad you said that because it actually reminded me of something. I remember sitting in the back of that bus, leaving uh, Ledward Barracks, um, and Aaron Schweinfurt, sitting in the back of that bus. Thinking to myself, this is it, man. Like we're we're deploying. We are. I'm on the bus. I have my gear. I have all my shit with me. We're going to the. We're gonna fly over there. We're going straight to war. That's what's happening. We're going to war. It's happening right now. And I remember thinking to myself, I felt like I'm ready for this. I felt like we've had enough training. Um, I felt like you said earlier, Tyree. Like been with these dudes for several years. I'm comfortable with them. I'm, I feel like I'm ready for this. Like, I don't know exactly what we're getting into, but we know it's war and we've played war plenty of times um, up there at area Mike or down there in Graf and Hohenfels or out in Vilflicken. I feel like I'm ready for this. Do you, do you, uh, you know, do you guys feel like you guys had that same mentality? Like, do you guys like Alvin, do you feel like you guys going into this, like as a Sergeant leading a team, you know, uh, having been in the army since the you know the eighties, you said like, do you feel like you were going into this? Like, I, do you remember to yourself like, I'm re- I'm ready to go do that. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this. Honestly, man, I think I was living a dream, man. Because the one thing I wanted to be as a kid, man, since I was a kid, was a soldier, man. I remember watching all these movies from World War II and Korea and stuff like that, and I was like, I want to do that when I grow up. But, you know, nobody really understands it until you have to do it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I really don't want to be here. But, um, yeah, I had that mentality that I was ready. And But, like I said, I was living the dream. I was, you know, because I was, like I said before, I was out. I, You know, I could have just stayed out and said, well, I did my time. I don't care. You know, let the young guys do it. Because I was, I was like 30-something years old at the time. 
Um, I think it was like 32, something like that. Um, maybe 35. Um, can't even remember to tell you the truth, but, um, but I was in my thirties and, and I could have just said, nah, you know, I'm staying out of this one, but you know, like we always say, you know, that oath never expires. So I said, you know what? I, I can't do that to my guys. And I had, I got a funny story about that one because when I left, um, a lot of those guys that I, that I had under my wing, um, they were upset that I left, but I made a stupid promise, which is not really stupid, but I said to them, look, man, I promise you that if we go to war, you know, um, I'll come back. And I happened to run into those guys afterwards, you know, and, you know, after 9-11, and they were like, yo, you remember that promise you made to us? And I was like, no, no, I don't forget, bro. I don't forget. I'm coming back. And, I, and they actually caught me when I was, I was actually going to go see the, the recruiter, uh, somebody that I knew from, from back in the days who I was going to actually ask him to get me back in. And as soon as they saw me, they're like, you don't remember what you said, right? I'm like, yeah, I got you. I got you. And I went in and I signed right back up again and that was it. And, you know, and no regrets as always. But, um, yeah, when we were in there, we were, we were ready to go. But again, there was a lot of unknowns on where we're going to, you know, cause I remember like, 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 uh, the CEO said, um, he told us just as we were in the, uh, airfield and, um, I could tell you because everybody, you know, I was standing there and we were all like stunned, like we're going where? And I think somebody knew enough geographics about um, Iraq that they knew where Samara was. And they said, that's like in the middle of Iraq. That's like where the Sunni triangle is. And um, we were like, what? And, like like I said, somebody I don't remember who it was, but somebody yeah, I think was, we had the S two with us. Yeah, he was major, studying major about Julia Iraq. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody was studying about Iraq and all that type of stuff, and basically all the culture and all that type of stuff. And they told us exactly where we were going to, and that there were some hardcore people there, and it wasn't going to be a, a cakewalk. And we were like, everybody was just like quiet, but we said, you know what? Whatever, we're going to go do what we got to do, and that was it. But um, but it was good that we knew where we were going, um, and that we knew what our mission was going to be, and but there was basically that uncertainty about um, okay, what's going to happen with the one two six? But but we had each other, so that's all that really mattered. Yeah. What about you, George? Did you, did, going into it, did you feel like you know like all the training with all your experience, uh, the guys you were surrounded about with? Like, did you did you did you feel like you were ready, or like was there like a hint of like nervousness? I mean, what was that? What was that like for you going into it? Well, I I think you know being a company commander is a little bit different. You know, it's a, it's a really big responsibility. You're responsible for every single person and everything that happens. So, um, you know, that's kind of tough. Um, I'd say, you know, I knew we could do whatever job that was put in front of us. I knew we had the skill set. I know my guys, my average guy was like 24, 25, 26 years old. So, you, you know, they'd all been there and done stuff. I had a lot of active duty, prior active duty. Um, you know, so I felt really confident about us doing the job. Um, but it was, it was difficult just knowing that we had no idea what kind of unit we were going to. And, and for me it was twice. I mean, I, the end of November, I, I come into this new company and I really didn't know any of the guys. And 
you know, to, to meet everyone and, and jump into that and then say, okay, well, you know, not only am I brand new to you guys, you know, it's not, not as new as, as Rock Trial was to your, your company, but, you know, just, yeah, we're also, we're not going to be with our battalion and, uh, and we're going to be somewhere else. And it's, it's not a nice area, you know, to be, you know, it's, it's a shitty hole. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and, you know, so it, there, there was, a, there was, a, there was a lot, you know, it, it was, it was, um, and then we saw that when I took over the company, there were, there were a lot of issues that were going on, um, that we had to, we had to fix and, uh, and make, basically make a team. Um, and I think by the time we finished JRTC and part of that, that hellish nine days and, and Sue or Gordon there, um, which we want it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I anyway, I had to tell you, you know, Sugar Gordon, you know, they, they were talking. The rest of the time, talking about, well, we had like seven, eight insurgents come across us. And I remember one time we're in Sugar Gordon, and it's you know January, January, February, and you know down in Fort Polk, so there's no leaves on the trees, and Sugar Gordon's in this bowl. And um, I remember I'm sitting there and I'm looking, and I can see all these black uniform guys you know, squads of three or four. And it must've been, it must've been a call all over Fort Polk to send everyone to Sugar Gordon. We were fighting like 30, 40, 50 guys at a time there. Um, you know, and it was just like, I was like, what is going on? But like I said, you know, I think because of all that, like we really had a really good team going in. And I think that built a lot of trust with the junior guys and to the more senior guys. So I think everyone felt a little bit more confident than before then. Um, but it was, uh, it, it, there, there was a, I think anybody for anyone to say, yeah, they were really excited to go to Samara. I, I think I'd have to say they're full of shit. Um, knowing what we knew about <laughs> Samara, no one was like, absolutely. Yeah. We want to go. It's, it was like, what the hell are we, why are we going here? Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that whole thing, um, you know, it is scary. Um, and it's, it's just, but it is what it is. I mean, you gotta, uh, like we didn't have a say in it. It's not like I'd say, Oh no, sorry. I'm going to pass on this one. Give it to someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, so it like you can't do anything about it. You know, you got to deal with it and and keep going. Yeah, I see. I don't you know, saying that like I don't think I don't remember when we left Germany. I don't remember knowing that we were going to end up in Samara. I think I, we we got told that while we were in Kuwait, no, I still man. had no idea what Samara was. They right. told us that we knew that you know. They, I think they 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 had mentioned uh, during the brief that it was in the Sunni Triangle and it's a Shia town. Um, so you know, expect some some heavy fighting, and uh, you know, you got, you got that typical you know soldier Hua mentality where you're like, fucking, let's go, let's fucking fight, right? Like, let's, we're we're gonna be in the shit, and you know, for people that have never been in combat, you know, that's that you're and your your whole job is to go to combat. You know, you're excited about the prospect of being in combat. Um, and, you know, in in retrospect, you're like, oh man, that's fucking rough. Nobody, no, nobody needs to be involved in this kind of stuff. But um, that is interesting that you say like, well, you were JRTC and you feel like they called all of the all four out there to come fight you guys. Cause that definitely, I, I feel like primed you guys um, or prepared you guys for uh, the type of heavy fighting that we would eventually see in Samara. Because I mean, there weren't many occasions um, during the bigger battles where their numbers were, were less than that. You know, so um, I mean, from 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 Easter to uh, Baton Rouge, I mean, it was 
a large, large number of enemy forces going into all that stuff. Yeah, we knew we were going um, yeah. to Samara, man. From uh, we got a briefing in the day room, like maybe a week before we left, and they, oh, we did? they yeah, they said hey, we're going to Samara, and I'm like, I gotta look this shit up, and they're like, yeah, Sunni Triangle and something like 150 thousand people in the city or some shit like that. I don't know if they're close with the numbers, but it was enough to fucking make me piss my pants a little bit because I'm like, if anything goes sideways, man, it's just us and then these National Guard folks and then who else. Like that's all I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, we're fucking screwed. Not to say like Black Hawk down. Yeah, not to say yeah. exactly. Not to say it was anything yeah. wrong with with the National Guard folks. I'm like, man, it's just us for real. Like this is this is a, the 19 year old Tyree Brown was a 19 20 year old. Like, like I guess at that that point, like man, I was fucking terrified. It wasn't uh, it wasn't it wasn't something that I was ready for. I was comfortable with the people that we were with. Cool. All right. Yeah. I love my brothers and all that kind of stuff. But still, this is like the complete unknown. I have no clue what's going on here. I don't, I know these people don't like us. I know that we're going to go over here and fight for sure. Remember we had that brief with that, the Sergeant Major who was like Louis Gossett Jr. He's like, you guys are my dicks and all kind of crazy weird shit. Remember oh, that, shit, was, that was in Kuwait, man. That was no, in no, Kuwait. No, he, that way. That, that we were in Kuwait for that. So yeah, I don't know who this guy was. I don't know if he was brigade. <laughs> I think he was brigade Sergeant Major, but he he's he had the entire formation out there and he's like, you know what what I look at when I when I look at this formation, I see a bunch of dicks and we're all just like What the fuck oh, is Scott all right? about? You know, and he's like, You know what that means? Dedicated infantry combat killers and we're like that that okay, that's definitely an acronym I feel like you just made up, but cool. Yeah, all right. He's like, So 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 going forward I wanna see nothing but dicks and we're like Come on, it's so hilarious. <laughs> the good That's thing he's laughing because I knew exactly what he was saying. <laughs> Come on, that's funny, yeah. man. That's so, old. That's old as shit, man. So, For real. so all that shit's going on. Like again, this is somebody who I've never seen before. We have a new company commander. We have Captain Ocasio, who's gone now. Like we were so happy we got rid of him. I know I say we shouldn't talk ill about anyone, but that was one person I'm happy to see go. Like you guys don't know him, cool. It's great you don't, because uh, yeah, we understand. We understand. We yeah, well, same yeah. kind of situation. <laughs> so I, so I, I, I've thought about it over the years, and if you've seen Band of Brothers, <clears throat> I think I understand what was happening in 2003. I, I, I think I understand why Captain Ocasio was being the way he was being, and I think I understand why Sergeant Swaney, our platoon sergeant at the time. Uh, was being the way he was being. And I understand, I think, why First Sergeant Salinas was being the way he was being was because of, like, you look at those, like, that, that the first couple of uh, episodes of Band of Brothers when Captain Sobel is just, you know, is this rust on your bayonet? I wouldn't take this rusty piece of shit to combat, and I won't take you to combat oh. either. I, I had I had almost that speech verbatim when we did that. denied. Yeah, yeah. Well, we a, I, I, I gotta step out for a minute just because um, my son's in basic training and he's calling right now. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, go after. for it. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we had a we had a class A address inspection, and I'm standing there, Mike, and I just got him back from the cleaners, got all my shit on there, and he pulls off a thread from where like the first ID patch was sewn on or something, and he was like, "What is this? You think you could take this? Do you think think this is gonna pass some kind of bullshit inspection? I wouldn't take you to combat." You know, and it was this whole thing, and I was just like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right, bud." Um, he, 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 you know, and I understand the the sentiment behind. So he had us in a company formation, and 
and unfurled a uh, unrolled a, a, a black body bag in front of the entire company formation and was like, do you know what this is? This is a body bag. Look to your left and right. Some of you are coming home in this. And, you know, it was, we were like, what, what the fuck? That's unnecessary, yeah. you know, but I also kind of, you know, looking back on, I can kind of understand because having done the drill sergeant gig, trying to make the, the future seem more realistic when, you know, the future is, hasn't happened yet. It's untold. Mm-hmm. So you try to make things a little bit more realistic for people. And I think that's what his, that's what he was attempting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, with all that being said, uh, Captain Rockefeller was uh, definitely a fucking rock star. Um, and we were happy to, we, we, we didn't know him, right? We got him that day, that morning. But looking at his uniform, I mean, he had deployed with Ranger Bat, I think, during Grenada as a 13 series. Damn, you know, that at, at, yeah, as an enlisted man. Yeah. So, like, this guy. You know, it was a Panama Grenada, one of the two. Um, but like, we were like, okay. It'd be yeah. great to this have guy's him like, on deal. so we can talk about it. But hey, that's a different story for another day. But yeah, no, it was, uh, we, we were excited to get him. And, uh, but, you know, and going yeah. into that deployment, you know, like, okay, all right, this is, uh, this is all new. And then I do know that like one, we were primed while we were in, uh, still in Germany. I remember being pulled up to that day room and they would show us videos of the beheadings that were going on over yeah. there. And, you know, that was priming us to, to, to fill us with anger to go over there and, and fight aggressively and, and do all that. Um, so, you know, our, our train up and, y- and y'all's train up definitely seems a, a lot different. Like, I feel like you guys, you guys got a lot more specific training to where you were going, whereas we just kind of went out and did the same thing over and over and over. Um, like I said, running around the woods setting up, you know, tents and, and sleeping under the snow and all of that stuff. So, uh, but yeah, interesting time. Well, for I, sure. think, I think the whole thing was that, you know, it, we had all these different kind of people because I, I just remember earlier, I, I wanted to interject with it, but we had a guy who, who worked for, um, for customs and the guy was a linguist. So while we were doing all that stuff, the, the Humvee training and all that other kind of stuff, waiting for us to start doing the sticks and stuff like that, um, you know, we were taking classes on Arabic. You know, we got these little fancy schmancy books where we were learning basic Arabic, you know, and how to greet and uh, know what certain things mean, you know, like weapon and so on and so forth. And we did that for, uh, you know, a couple of weeks or so. and. Um, and then we took the books and we just continued kind of like refreshing ourselves and trying to learn some of the, 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 the words. And, you know, that helped out great out there because, you know, some guys would be able to at least communicate. It would, it would be, you know, we still needed translators, of course, you know, because it was just like greetings and, you know, asking basic questions. Um, but of course, you know, by the, by the, by the time, you know, we were almost toward the end of deployment, a lot of people forgot about that, but that was kind of, cool to learn because at least we learned something about what was going on over there. Yeah. So that would, that was, that was great training as well. Yeah. See, and we didn't, we didn't get any language training. I, I know going into Kosovo, they taught us how to say NATO stop or I'll shoot in two different languages was a Serbian and Albanian, but I don't remember yeah. getting any of that kind of training in Arabic. We had very little. 
I, I do remember there was some kind of paperwork they gave us or some kind of book, but it was just enough to maybe kind of get by. But in my opinion, mm-hmm. there was no way I was going to be able to say it in a proper way that anyone was going to understand. So I'm like, I'm not going to worry about trying to learn this so much right now. I'm probably going to, I have a year, like I got a year, I'll pick it up. Like we're going to go to Kuwait here. I'm going to probably practice a little bit before we get over there. So I I thought I had my shit together at that point when, when it came down to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I learned the numbers and how to say open your trunk. Yeah. That's all I needed. That's all I thought I needed. I I wasn't going to be ordering food there. I wasn't going to be doing anything other than like work, work. So like if it wasn't work related, I could care less. That was my, that was my thing for that year. I'm like, I'm going to be on fucking army time. Like that's all that matters right now. Anything that I learn is going to be army related. It's going to help out this deployment. Um, It's going to help me get through this whole fucking bullshit. And that's that. I didn't really want to, I knew that the deployment was going to be bad enough and I want to add any bad shit with it, with my crap, if that makes any sense. So I just wanted, really wanted yeah, to stay, man. I really wanted to stay focused on this. Like, uh, I guess as the deployment went on, we kind of figured out ways to have fun in our own different way. But the beginning was straight. It was, it was, it was go time, man. I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to think about besides like, Whatever, what we need to train on. Let's think about that. Let's 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 deal with that kind of stuff. And now thinking about it, like all these years later, like thank God we were like that because, like, it could have been a lot worse. I think as as bad as we mm. say our deployment was, it could have been a lot worse because yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the guys who who stayed in the unit after we we came back uh, the next year, they went to where'd they go, um, Kevin. The guys from Charlie, how bad they got hit. Um, well, they were up in, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Charlie was up in Tikrit. Yeah. So um, that was and, way worse uh, than us. I, you know, I, I'm not really sure it, it, what Charlie went through. Um, George, I think, yeah, I accidentally, I accidentally yeah. muted you. I'm, I'm back. Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, like, you talk about, like, what our like what our battalion went through, like, in the later deployment in 2006. Like, fuck. Yeah. makes ours seem like nothing i think but uh i do i do think i mean i know we got a little bit of like cultural uh training uh before we went over there but i think it was very minimal um just kind of like customs and courtesies uh uh we're you know for muslims um or, or in iraq or whatever um but i think that could have been a lot more i think the the language thing would have been extremely beneficial um in a lot of situations but like we've said before we were going over there we knew we were going to iraq um, I guess we all, you know, at some point we were, knew we were going to go to Samara and we probably had an idea that it was going to be heavy fighting, but I don't think, I mean, I think there were so many other, um, unknowns or un- uncertainties, um, like how often we would be able to interact with people on a civil level, um, which was a lot more than I expected. I mean, you know, just normal presence patrols going door to door, talking to people, uh, traffic control points and actually being able to speak with these people through an interpreter um, or very broken English and Arabic. Um, there was, there was a lot more of that than not, than I expected. Um, so I think having some kind of like some, you know, a couple of weeks of like cultural training and maybe some like intro to the language or whatever would have been, I think very beneficial. I think. I tell um, you what, man, I, I was in the reserves, you know, just like everyone else. Um, a little bit after 
I got out of the out of regular army, and their training for when they got deployed, their language training and all that stuff was ten times greater than anything we've ever gotten close to happen. And I felt pretty cool to be a part of that because I'm like, man, I know how it's going to be. And I'm like, they didn't teach us enough and they taught them too much. Like these people can hold full conversations before they even got off the bus. So I thought that was pretty cool that they had, I guess, figured that out for the army. We used to teach that in basic training when I was out at Fort Still. Um, We had a guy who was a former interpreter over there and um, was able to come come to come to the States and work as a contractor and he would come to all these uh, basic training cycles and they would have an eight hour class on cultural awareness. And um, so he would teach them all kinds of stuff about the, the culture of um, um, Muslims in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, different words to say um, all that stuff. And actually even like gave them, materials to take back with them to go over so i mean even in basic training and that was back in 2009 they were they were getting uh at least introduced to it well that shows some kind of maturity or some kind of advancement and thought process over the time because you know from five to nine that's a big that's a big chunk of years and to be teaching them that at that point is a good thing so yeah i don't i don't want to think like the average deployment time after training back then was two months so Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah So I don't want to get bogged down too much on certain things. I don't have a lot more time on this show. Um, What was it like when you guys actually hit the ground? Uh, When you guys actually landed in Iraq? Yeah, when I went, when I got there, we went to the, what? You you came with the Avon with us, right? Uh, No, no, I I did the convoy up. So we, I did the Avon and, um, and basically, when we got there, uh, it was just basically, uh, you know, left, right, seat, right, uh, stuff like that, and get acclimated and find out what was going on. Um, we had a big, funny uh, joke, I guess, on you guys, because uh, I went to the MWR tent to go get, uh, um, to be on the phones and the computers, and I had some private that kept on gawking at me and wondering what was going on because we had all this new gear and stuff. And he comes up to me, uh, gets a parade rest, and he's like, uh, excuse me, Sergeant, uh, I just want to ask you a question. I'm, uh, um, I'm like, well, what's going on? Let, get it out your mouth. He's like, uh, are you guys special forces? Yeah, yeah, man, we're special forces, man. Just <laughs> shh, don't tell nobody. And then he walks away, and I think by the time the next morning uh, somebody comes into the – when one, somebody in our group comes over and says, yo, do you really these guys think that we're special forces? And I just started <laughs> laughing because that thing went like, it spread through the base like wildfire. So I saw the private the next day and I told him, come over here. I said, listen, man, we're not special forces, man. We're National Guard from New York. Do me a favor. Don't be ever spreading rumors like that, man. All right, OPSEC, man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I told him, get out of here. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he felt so embarrassed. So I was like, oh, my God. But everybody in our group was just laughing because, like, yo, you told them, you really told them special forces? I said, yeah, man, because he kept on wondering about our gear because we had, you know, the M68s and the lasers and all kinds of good stuff, man, and they were, like, bugging out, man. Like, they didn't know. You know, we had the the new helmets, the new body armor, and they were just losing their mind wondering who were we. And so I didn't say nothing else after that, and I just kept them moving. We had Molly gear. You guys saw the old LBEs. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. it was just it was great though. It was great, yeah. you know. 
But we 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 did what we were supposed to do to get them ready. So when they arrived, um, and of course the rest of your unit arrived, um, you know we were ready to go. Uh, but they still came out and they put us on the. I'm not sure if you guys went through it, but maybe I think everybody did. They put us out in the different uh, battle positions, you know, to get us acclimated to the weather and everything like that. And then eventually, I think it was weeks later that we started doing our first patrols in Samara and stuff yeah. like that. So I, I think PRF. it was probably about well, once I got up there. So I, I came up with a ground convoy um, and we drove up from Kuwait. And then once we hit Anaconda, we kept going north to, to Brasfield Mora. Um, and I, and I guess the, uh, the statute of limitations is over on this story, but we were doing right seat rides and it was, there was, let's say it was, I think it was a chain of command with a couple of vehicles. And this was the learning curve, I guess, between armor and mechanized and light infantry. Um, you guys got hit with an IED. One of your tanks got hit and it blew oh, off yeah, track wheels. And I guess your SOP at that point was you guys opened up like a 360. Well, you guys, which was okay yeah. for you guys, which was great for you guys because you were all in armored vehicles, but we were in Humvees. And I remember like one of our Humvees had like coax right across the windshield and, and a bunch of that. We were like, oh man, we are not going to make it out of here. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, that, that was our first, uh, that, that was our first baptism. It was, it was a, it was a, uh, like I said, I think statute of limitations is done. So it was a friendly fire incident when, yeah, you guys were just opening up because we got hit. It was, I think it was an IED and small arms fire. And you guys opened up all over, and we're like, "Oh, and we do not have tanks." Yeah, we do yeah. not have tanks or armored vehicles. Yeah, we spoke so about I, this a few the times. One, like, the uh, one, two, six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. I remember Rockfell was like, uh, if we can ever talk about this again, that'd be great. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, we, 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 we've actually talked about it quite a bit on the, on the show. So a tank, one of, one of the Abrams that was attached to us ran over a landmine, blew off the track and some roll wheels. And the headquarters platoon, um, they were in uh, up-armored Humvees. Well, actually, most of us were in up-armored Humvees at this point because uh, we weren't rolling around the Bradleys just yet. Um, I think some of them were out. But the rear the the rear gun truck just starts firing indiscriminately to his twelve o'clock, which is the six o'clock to the vehicle, and just firing into darkness. So the Humvee that I was in at the at the time I was at RTO uh, for Lieutenant Gunther, and our truck took a couple of rounds. Um, and your guys' truck took a couple, couple of rounds, but like to our flank was Tyree's squad on foot. Yeah. They were out there on foot walking. And so what y'all hit the ground as best as we could. And then we were like, man, those traces are the wrong color. (laughs) Something's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Something's not quite right. (laughs) Yeah. So here we are active duty. You know what I mean? Like we're better than the guard. And, you know, yeah. Fucking yeah, up from, I from, I like, like, I, well, at least we haven't shot at you guys yet. So yeah, <laughs> from jump can't, really, can't really jump on us too much. Oh yeah. man, yeah. No, I do remember it's like at the end of the deployment when we were doing the right seat ride with the group that came in to replace us. I think it was a complete guard unit. Um, they didn't have any active duty uh, people, and uh, I remember that was uh, me and me and Sergeant Humphrey. We were walking across the open area, and we took an RPG. An RPG shot like well over our head, but in between where we got fired from. And right behind us, we were right in the middle, was one of the National Guard uh, Bra- uh, Bradleys. 
and we're like me and Humber laying on the ground like please don't fucking fire please don't fucking fire please don't fucking fire <laughs> you know yeah. like we still had that in our heads like we're you know like uh, th- these guys I mean they were new in country you could tell they were new I remember one guy got dismounted from the back of the Bradley and he did not need to be on deployment I mean, this boy was overweight. Like, I don't know how they found body armor to fit him. He comes stumbling out down that ramp with a saw. They gave him the saw of all things. I guess to be, a, you know, as a joke. He comes down that ramp with a saw, already sweating, takes a couple steps, falls down, and ends up turtling himself. He had to, like, have two of his buddies come over and pick him up. I, you know, felt bad for him. But, uh, but yeah, man, like that, yeah, our, our first bit of combat, my first time to be shot at was definitely friendly fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So hey, um, I, th- I think we're not all immune from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah. So for this episode, I'm going to cut this one a little short, only because I know we have so much more to tell, and I don't want to burn all of our stories quite yet. Because I know you guys still have uh, a lot stories. of heavy stuff to tell. <laughs> I know we have a bunch more people, uh, a lot more guests who are going to come on to tell about uh, their their side of the story with everything and I'm so happy to have you guys a part of this hopefully you guys will be back on whenever we need you because I'm, I'm like I'm saying it's a year's worth of shows and we're going to have uh, some some things that you guys are only you guys will be able to tell because we can't possibly tell anything about what happened with the with certain things and and vice versa um, so mm-hmm. I'm very excited to have started this um I'm fucking pumped to have you guys here with me because again, I can't, we can't, me and Kevin just can't carry this on our own. I don't think we, we tried it once before, uh, but this is going to be something that hopefully we'll be able to put a nice really bow look on. Back on. There you go. Really look back on it, put a nice bow on it and put it away so we can move on to other bigger and better things in, in our history of military, whatever. But, uh, again, I, I'm very happy to have you guys on, um, you guys got anything before we cut this one out? I know it's kind of abrupt, but like I said, this is the only way we're going to be able to do this to preserve all the stories to make this go on for the for the duration yeah. that we need oh. it to. I got you. I'm I'm glad to be a part of this. Finally, I mean, I know, like I said before, Kevin tried to get me on, but uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. I guess it's it's great to finally tell our stories because um, you know I've heard a couple of the podcasts and stuff like that, but it's great for us to tell us our stories and our perspective. You know, because we do, like you said before, we do have a, a different perspective of what went down. Yeah. So, 100%. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate all the time and everything that you guys are doing to keep this stuff, you know, alive. Oh, no, mm-hmm. no problem, man. I sit at home and I watch YouTube videos of people from their Vietnam stories and their World War II stories. And I'm like, I, I haven't really seen anything about us in our time really solid yet. So I figured this was a great time to start it. 20 years later, well, but whatever. When I think one thing that's, that always upsets me is like, I follow a lot of these like social media accounts, like on Instagram, whatever. And you know, the, they talk about that battle of Fallujah a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, those dudes got hammered. They did, but I have never once seen anything on Baton Rouge or the shit that went down in Samara. And, uh, Unless it's like something that one of our guys has put out on YouTube and that's been out for 15, 20 years now or however long. So, you know, that, that's kind of, you know, we, we feel like, you know, our story is just as important and we did some, some pretty wild stuff too. Um, that sounds like I'm crying about it, <laughs> but <laughs> no, um, we actually, we actually kicked it off, you know, yeah. because that was the beginning of the fall offensive and we kicked it off with the first battle. Mm-hmm, and then there was right. Fallujah and there was Ramadi and everything else. But Fallujah just got the most of it because of it was the, you know, such a great battle 
and all the craziness was going on. But they don't realize that all the ones that we were fighting in Samara took off and ran to Fallujah, yep. you know, yeah. with them because they were they were mutually supporting each other. Yeah, you know, they don't realize that. Yeah, it was the. And my understanding was that Baton Rouge was like the guinea pig. We were the guinea pigs to yeah. see if that type of operation could yeah. work. Did there were a lot of observers, mm-hmm. yeah. watching how things happen. So yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, so we'll definitely we'll definitely need you guys to come back on later on because, like Tyree said, I mean there 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 are so many events throughout that year that like we've already told our side of it um, with various you know people uh, the first year that we did this. Um, but we don't have your guys' perspective on a lot of things that went down that year. Um, like I said, from Easter Sunday to Baton Rouge to pulling out. So um, to, to everything, you know. So uh, you guys were definitely a very important and pivotal part of, of our deployment. And we're definitely glad to have had you guys. I mean, we. I mean, I, I don't know if we could have had any other National Guard unit from any other state. And, and they would have performed just as well. But um they weren't they weren't there and we weren't lucky enough to have them yeah. um we were lucky enough to have you guys so um yeah fucking you Thank guys you. are definitely a part of the 126 family that's that's for sure and vice versa i feel like we're in that patch every now and then the y'all's patches was cool as shit yeah well hey <laughs> i'm gonna cut this one out and uh close this out thanks guys Thank you for listening to Before I Forget, this special episode of Before I Forget, the 20th anniversary of OIF2. Thank you. Please like, listen, share, subscribe, and watch. And give us a review because we can really use that. If you ever listen to us on any platform and you see a place where you can leave us a review, please do that. It will help grow the platform. And uh, Kevin, you got anything before we head out on the first episode of 12 on the Iraqi freedom mem- remembrance or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I don't know. Yeah, we got to come up with a better word. Yeah, we got to come no. up with something better than that. <laughs> I don't know. Do we? I don't know. No, yeah. I, I got nothing, man. Um, right. Thanks for watching and keep watching. Keep watching. Cool shit's coming.